If you've been uh, attending the last weeks, you know that we're uh, focusing on a particular section in the uh, little book of Philippians uh, in chapter 3 of that book. So if you'll turn with me uh, there on page 981, you'll notice a couple of passages in your bulletin that I will refer to uh, during the course of the our study <clears throat> that are that are related to the idea of righteousness that we're going to look at this morning. <clears throat> I'll begin reading this time with verse three, but our focus is going to be verse 9. Philippians 3, 3, page 981, if you're using that Bible that's in the pew. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, bless us that we will... See more of your glory, more of the glory of Christ, Lord, that we may entrust ourselves to you and live out your gracious character in our lives. We pray this for your honor. Amen. There was a lady that uh, worked for my family growing up for a while. And later, some years later, this is found out later what the whole story was, but she went to the doctor to see about a pain that she was having in her side. And the doctor examined her in a superficial way and gave her some meds for muscle, a muscle relaxer. So she took the muscle relaxer for a couple of weeks and didn't do any good. And she went back to the doctor. He gave her another kind of pain medicine. And she tried that for several more weeks. Finally, she came to my father. 
And he discovered upon a close and careful examination that two of her ribs were already eaten away by cancer. And she succumbed to cancer and and died because of it. A terrible, terrible oversight on the part of these doctors that they didn't discover what the real nature of her disease was. A disease that was literally eating her life away. And I put that rather graphic and terrible example before you because I think it pictures very well what Paul sets forth here, what he calls a righteousness of my own derived from the law. And I want to set before you that this spiritual disease... Seeking a righteousness of your own from the law will eat away your humanity. It will eat away your whole future. It will eat away your character. It will unfit you for the judgment of God. It is what he says in this passage what he came, what he thought was gain, now he regards it not only as loss but as refuse, as rotting food, as excrement, this righteousness of my own. Or as he puts it earlier in verse 6, a blamelessness in regard to the righteousness of the law. So we're going to look just at two things again this week. Righteousness of my own from the law, which he describes there in verse 9. And what this looks like in the the Bible. And then a righteousness which comes from God. And what that would look like. So as he refers back, you see he says there in verse 6, one of the aspects of my life that would be a boasting in the flesh or confidence in the flesh. Notice that again. It's a blamelessness that I have, but it's my own confidence in my own doing. My own righteousness. He says, I, had a, I was blameless in regard to the uh, righteousness of the law. Now, this would mean that he's pointing to the behavior that he had, okay? All of the detailed uh, uh, obedience to the outward law of God. But this also formed part of his status as he understood it before God. This blameless living out of the law also was his status before God and assured him of his status before God. And so there's this contrast of my own righteousness versus that which comes from God. A righteous status which comes from God. So do I look at my status with God as stemming from my own obedience and my own righteousness? Or do I see my status being received as a gift from God? Now, there's several things that indicate that this blamelessness was not true love to God and did did not exhibit love for other people as well. 
Because as you examine especially Christ's own assessment of this pharisaical righteousness, you can see its inside structure, okay? So we're going to drop back and hear, all right, here's Jesus being confronted or confronting this same pharisaical righteousness because he says, I was a Pharisee. And it's, it's very insightful to see what Jesus had to say about this righteousness that Paul calls blameless. For instance, in Luke eleven forty two, as Christ is pronouncing woes on the Pharisees, alas, or the, the misery uh, that you will have because of your life. He says, you tithe mint and rue and every herb... And neglect justice and the love of God. Now think of this. Meticulous obedience that neglects love to God and care of people. That's what Paul calls blameless. A fastidious obedience. A a following the rules But it's void of love to God or love to people. In Matthew 23, which is the most extensive chapter in his pronouncing of woes. He says of the Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside is full of greed and self-indulgence. So the outside looks good. Everybody would say obedience, obedience, following rules. Inside, greed, self-indulgence. Two verses later, he says, You're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but inside are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Now, think of what Jesus is saying. An unclean, a a dead body was regarded as unclean, impure. You don't touch a dead body. And here's Jesus saying, you're the dead body. You that claim to be so pure, you at heart are impure. You're an uncleanness and you're bringing your impurity to those around you. Your outward purity masks a deadly impurity inside. And in the next verse, he says, you outwardly appear righteous to others. There's that word righteous. Okay. I was blameless as to righteousness of the law. You are outwardly righteous, but but you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's fascinating use of words. Okay, outwardly, you look righteous. Inwardly, you're lawless. The law, of course, by by Jesus own words is fulfilled in or, or summarized in two ways. Loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. As to love to God and love to others, you're lawless. You have no you're not following in any way from the heart. The true law of God, which calls for love to God and love to others. 
So in all of your rule keeping, you Pharisees, you don't love God. You don't care for people. He calls them even serpents and a brood of vipers. So you see, when Paul describes his blamelessness according to the righteousness of the law, he's describing the way it was as a Pharisee, as a Judaizer, a person in Judaism of the day, of the chief priests and the scribes and, uh, and, and, and the Pharisees. This kind of law-keeping, we would say, is a spiritual disease that eats away at our humanity and our character. In another incident, the Pharisees are watching Jesus to see if on the Sabbath he's going to heal a man with a withered hand. And of course, they don't, they're not concerned about the man with a withered hand. But they've made up all of these rules as to what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. And they keep those rules very carefully. And where does it leave their heart? Well, as they watched to see if he would break the Sabbath and break their rules, it says of Jesus, he looked around at them with anger, grieved, or as the NIV says, deeply distressed at their hardness of heart. The rule keepers. But their hardness of heart was, was evidenced in their approach. Didn't care about the man. They cared about the rules. They were without love and compassion as they're expressed in Mark 3. Another time they grumble because he's eating with tax gatherers and, and, and sinners. They say, why are you doing this? According to their rules, you stay away from such people. You shun people. You don't care for them. And Jesus says, you know what you need to do? You need to go and learn what this means. And he quotes from Hosea chapter 6. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Go find out what that means. You see... God didn't want empty sacrifice going through the outward motions of sacrifice. So the outward rule rule keeping while at heart, you're a merciless person. I desire mercy, not bare sacrifice. The whole point of sacrifice is to experience the mercy and forgiveness of God. It is to admire the God of unlimited mercy and entrust yourself to his mercy. The giving up of a sacrifice was to be an outward expression of the inward giving yourself up to him. And a part of that would to become like him, following him in his kindness and mercy. But merciless sacrifice? What a mockery. What a mockery of the whole idea of sacrifice. What is sacrifice without mercy? And another time, they're catching Jesus' disciples plucking grain in a field to eat on the Sabbath. Oh, on the Sabbath again. (laughs) And to the Pharisees, this constituted harvesting. They also thought that if you spit on the ground and it moved the ground, that would be plowing. So you can't spit on the Sabbath. No spitting today outside, okay? 
That's the kind of rules that they made. So this was forbidden. And there Jesus said, seeing their anger, their being upset at the simple feeding of themselves uh, from this grain. He said, if you had known what this meant, I desire mercy and sacrifice, you wouldn't have condemned the innocent. You wouldn't be concerned about this. If you had known what this meant, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. But you don't. You're concerned about your rule and not the need of a hungry person. And it's interesting, Hosea 6, from which Jesus quotes in the next line, says this. I desire the knowledge of God instead of burnt offering. Knowledge of God, of course, means communion with God, the awe of God, the love of God, the imitation of God. Hosea is saying you can go through all the motions of a burnt offering and not know God. And a person who's not merciful does not know and love and respect the God of mercy. His or her outward conforming to sacrifice and burnt offering is a sham. It means nothing. And so this is why Paul here in Philippians 3 contrasts his outward performance, this righteousness with what? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See? Like, I used to obey, and I was, a quote, obey. I was blameless in terms of what the Pharisees thought blamelessness was. But I didn't know God. I didn't know God. But I've come to know him in the person of Christ. This is why we've said many, many times, your obedience and law-keeping and even attendance to church and doing all the right things can be the way you're running from God, avoiding God, staying away from the mercy of God because you're building your resume, you're, you're building your righteousness. It depends on what you achieve as to whether you're accepted before God or not. And so... Luke can say as he introduces the parable Jesus told of the Pharisee and the tax gatherer that he told the parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. You see, that's Paul's language, isn't it? My own righteousness that comes from the law. My confidence in the flesh righteousness. My own effort righteousness the achieving of a standing with God through my obedience and righteousness. And this, I would say, is the stinking, rotting carcass, as Paul would say, of self-performance, self-achievement, self-promotion, self-attention, self-eating away at your humanity. And... Here in Philippians 3, the greatest evidence of the sham of this blamelessness is that he can say, I was blameless in regard to the law. I was a persecutor of the church. See, blameless in one restricted sense 
But I actually hated and attacked the Messiah to to whom the law spoke, of which the law spoke. When that God whom I professed to worship made made himself known in Messiah, I became a persecutor of him and his people. Oh, I was blameless. (laughs) I was blameless in regard to the law. But I hated the true people of God, whom Paul now thinks is the true circumcision, as he calls them. I I was one of those who was mutilating the flesh, so to speak. Now I've become the circumcision because I don't put confidence in the flesh, but I glory in Christ Jesus. And so the Pharisees. Tried to destroy him, it says. They arrested him to seek to arrest him by stealth and kill him. They vehemently accused him. They mocked him on the cross. These were the blameless ones. See? Rule keepers. Fastidious. But it was all to keep God away. It was all a denial of God and his mercy. So how is this going to stop? How is this, this disease going to stop in my life? How can it be healed? It's only grace that will heal you. Only grace will heal you. And so we go from the righteousness of my own that comes from the law to what he describes as the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This speaks of a righteous standing that I have with God, not because of what I have done, but it comes as a gift from God. This speaks of the beginning of a new life, not based on my performance, but based on forgiveness and acceptance that God gives to me as a gift. That's the righteousness which comes from God. It is a standing that I have with God of being accepted and declared not guilty. In Romans 5.17, Paul talks about the gift of righteousness. Pure gift of righteousness. The gift of a right standing with God. The gift of acceptance with God. And there as here, it's through faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ. Trusting Christ to bear away my sin. To trust Christ to be punished in my place. To trust Christ in his resurrection, which declared that he had completely paid for sin. And so I entrust myself to this one who died and was raised from the dead. And so as a sinner who will fail in so many ways until the day I die, I renounce my own performance as a basis for God to accept me. And I rest completely on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And in this, God gives me a righteous standing, a righteousness that comes from God. And this is the beginning of my healing. I love how it's put in Psalm 130, verse 4. There is forgiveness with you 
that you may be feared. Now, fear, obviously, in this case, is not the running from God kind of dread. But it could be expressed as the term awe or trusting reverence. The birthplace of the awe of God is forgiveness. The birthplace of adoration to God and the beginning love toward God is the experience of forgiveness from God. The experience of righteousness from God. There is the change of character. Because I begin to know him Not just as judge, but I begin to know him in his gracious character. That he has had kindness and mercy to me, a sinner. His kindness in Christ to take flesh and bear my sin. And there's the birthplace of awe and adoration and admiration and the desire to conform my ways to this gracious God. And so you see, grace lances the boil of self. It lances the boil of self. It's the beginning of my liberty from self. A life rooted in God's mercy begins to exhibit that same mercy to others. A life in which we taste the humility of Christ in giving himself for us causes us to begin to give ourselves in the same humility to others. The patience and kindness that we experience begins to mark our treatment of others. And this, brothers and sisters and friends, is what Jesus meant in Matthew 5.20 when he said, unless you have a righteousness beyond that of the Pharisees, you will never see the kingdom of God. Now, he wasn't talking about, you've, you know, they've got several hundred, hundreds of rules. You've got to have thousands of rules. You know, like you're, you have to be even more fastidious than the Pharisees. No, he began that Sermon on the Mount speaking of blessed are those that mourn, mourn over their sin. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit, broken over their sin. Blessed are those that show mercy. They're the ones who taste mercy. You see, it's all founded in brokenness over our sin and entrusting ourselves to his mercy that a whole different kind of righteousness comes forward. Not a hyper-judgmental, critical attitude of the Pharisees, but one of mercy and kindness and goodness, which Jesus was constantly pointing the Pharisees toward. Did you tithe, but you don't know anything about justice? You don't know anything about mercy? You don't know anything about faithfulness? And it's interesting, Jesus said to the Pharisees, if you clean the inside of the cup, the outside will really be clean. And so he cleanses us At the source of our bent on self that not only serves ourself and our desires, but when we begin to think about God, we naturally, out of self, want to perform to earn our salvation before God. We're pretty offended that God would come to us and say, you, in terms of being accepted by me, in terms of having a righteousness that bears up under 
the microscope, you're hopeless cause. Hopeless. And that's offensive. We want to think of something that I can bring to God to earn my salvation. Something that would uh, commend me to, jo- to, to God. But here's where our <laughs> character shows itself when we are seeking to, by performance, to be accepted by God, we either, in two directions, we're always fearful that we're not there. There's always more that we could be doing and we don't know if we're doing enough. Or we have constructed such a life that we are confident (laughs) Because we do well. We're highly organized in our religion. We, we perform it very well. And so we're quite confident of what will happen. We see the Pharisees were hypercritical, judgmental, always finding fault. And since this becomes our attitude, if we're depending on a righteousness of my own, then I will be quick to judge others as I think God is quick to judge me. You'll easily find fault in others because you think God easily, quickly finds fault with you. You're easily critical of others. You're always looking for others and what they do wrong. It helps justify yourself if you can find fault with someone else. This kind of performance base is an ugly thing when it spills out in our life. It creates a vacuum, sucking the life of others. It creates many times an anger. We quickly explode at others. We quickly lose it to others because this is how we view God, (laughs) that we can never fully please him. Or another form of this is this fear, this fear of being accepted by God, fear that I'm never doing enough. And so I operate out of this fear with others, others, and I reflect this fear even to them. Things are always going to go wrong. People are always going to reject me. And I have an excuse to implode. I have an excuse for everything to always be wrong in my own mind. It's interesting how James uh, describes two different kinds of wisdom in James chapter 3. He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, this isn't the wisdom that comes from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic, selfish ambition. He says, but the wisdom from above, which would mean the grace from above, the righteousness that God would give us, the wisdom that flows from this relationship of forgiveness. That's the larger picture. That wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You see, the beginning of forgiveness is the beginning of a new character. Receiving the righteousness from God is the beginning of a new life, a new regard for others. 
That's why Titus, in Paul's letter to Titus, he can write this. And notice the contrast. This is so much the same kind of contrast as we see here in Philippians 3. He says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. It's that word righteousness. Works in righteousness. He didn't save us because of that. He saved us according to His own mercy. That's the way you and I will be rescued by that mercy. No wonder Jesus tells his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of self-righteousness. Beware of being on a, a condition of performance to God. I love how Paul puts it after this passage in Romans 9, which summarizes that's there in your bulletin that summarizes why the Jews turned away from Christ and rejected him because they didn't pursue it by faith, but as it were, based on works. And later he puts it this way, and this is, this is a very important passage. He says, they, they sought to establish their own righteousness and they didn't submit to God's righteousness. And that's what I want to ask you. Have you submitted? It's an interesting word because you have to renounce everything you would ever depend on. You have to renounce your own righteousness or the possibility that you could ever have a righteousness. You have to turn your back on all of that. And you have to submit to, put yourself under the care of, in the liberty of. The righteous standing that God will give you. I saw a, a man years and years ago. We were driving on the interstate and we saw a car going the wrong way on the interstate. There was nothing we could do. We, we, we didn't have a, at that time, we didn't have a phone with us, right? There's just nothing to do. We did And we read the next day that there had been a fatal accident. And you and I are so much this way that by nature we're running against the purposes of God. When Paul says here, I want to be found in Christ, it's interesting. Earlier in Philippians 2, it says, he was found to be... In the flesh, he was found to be a man, that is Jesus, who was God, was found to be in the flesh. Do you know why he was found to be in the flesh? So that you would be found to be in him. He came in the flesh so that you could end up being folded in with Christ. And if you are trying to put yourself, if you're on a performance basis with God and you don't know if you could ever be accepted by God, you're running against the purposes of God. And so you repent, you turn around, you submit yourself. We, we've got these little silver rocks that are actually mag- magnets. And I would have held them up here, but you can't really see, see them that far away. But you can hold one rock and the whole row just sits there like that. You can pull off four rocks and they just pop back up. Okay. But if you turn these last three or four rocks around, 
and the polarity is different, then you've seen that with magnets. They just will not touch. It, in fact, this little thing pushes away because you've got the wrong end. But what has to happen is that end has to turn itself all the way around and then it's attached. And that's you and me. That's you and me by nature. We will resist him. We will resist his mercy. We will find reasons why we can't be accepted by God. We'll live out of ourselves instead of entrusting ourselves and washing ourselves in gratitude and the kindness and mercy and love of God in Christ. But as he says earlier in Philippians, he grants us to believe. That's what you need. If you've resisted Christ to this point, cry out, Lord, grant me that I will repent, that I will not resist you, but I will turn to you and be found in you, not having a righteousness of my own, but the righteousness from God that comes through Christ. There's the beginning of life. There's the the birthplace of true character, not like the Pharisees, who in all of their law-keeping actually rejected God and didn't care for people. But here's the birth of love in our hearts. It's when we begin to submit to the love of God in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, it's amazing It's amazing what I will do, even as a believer, to resist your love. It's amazing how I can fall back into a performance basis. It's amazing how the sin of self tells me, even to this day. Oh, Lord... Enable us to see that self can manifest itself in the pleasures that we want to give ourselves to that are outside of your will and destructive of us and others. And also the false obedience that we want to give up as though it can be something of a basis for acceptance. Oh, Lord, continue to root us in pure grace entrusting ourselves to Jesus Christ alone and receiving from God a righteousness that we could never have ourselves. Oh, Lord, give us that grace for Jesus' sake. Amen.